Well, every blessing to you all. Welcome back to my open air pulpits. If you care to know, it's five degrees Celsius. Last night it was zero degrees Celsius, but the sun is shining. It's uh, very nice actually, and uh, a lot of vitamin D will be coming my way. So praise the Lord for that. Well, last Sunday morning I sat down to read through the Old Testament specifically. I'm still trying to finish the entire Bible. In this rate, it will probably be early next year when I finally finish the Word of God. And of course, I was sitting down preparing for Psalm 44, which Hopefully, Lord willing, I will finish this coming Sunday, so please join me as I attempt to finish Psalm 44. But uh, I was reading through 1 Samuel, a lot of good stuff in 1 Samuel. And I guess there's probably four or five biblical stories that really stand out. The Exodus, uh, Noah's Ark, uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, walking on the water. Possibly Joshua's missing day, but of course David and Goliath is no doubt in the top three. Everybody's heard of David and Goliath. So I thought this morning, while the weather is really uh, quite warm for this time of the year, I say warm, it's still cold, but the sun is coming through uh, very brightly. I thought I would visit the pulpits and do this video. And uh, as I was reading it this past Sunday, I was making mental notes, which I always do. And I thought, that's an interesting thought, and that's an interesting thought. And <laughs> what's the weight here? And what's the cross-reference there? And of course, my mind is already jumping ahead to recording a possible video from the pulpit so here i am this morning let's start in first samuel chapter 17 and when i first got saved many years ago i read through the entire bible obviously and when i read matthew's gospel i said to myself matthew wrote it when i read mark's gospel i said to myself mark wrote it when i read luke's gospel i said to myself luke wrote it when i read john's gospel i said to myself john wrote it so i haven't changed my mind many years on now, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, I think in the original Tanakh, the Jewish Old Testament, uh, they were all one book. And of course, when the Bible was translated back in the 15th century, Bishop's Bible, Geneva Bible, King James Bible, of course, uh, they decided to break the books up into different sections. Hebrews, another good example. Uh, who wrote Hebrews? A lot of people like to argue and fall out over that. It doesn't really bother me. All I can tell is that when I first read this book, 19 years ago i knew i just knew this was the word of god and i haven't changed my mind whatsoever i feel sorry for some people who scratch their heads and say i don't know who really wrote the gospels or we can't be sure who wrote the book of acts or who really wrote uh the book of revelation or the epistle of james can we trust it stuff like that i feel sad for such people i think if you have a faith or if your faith is like a like a child's faith god will show you wonderful things but if you Always approach everything very analytical and uh, think that God has to explain everything to you or explain everything to you in a way that will suit your comprehension. I think you're going to miss out on many blessings. So let's start today in 1 Samuel uh, 17. 1 Samuel 17. I'm thinking this is around probably 900 BC, 950 thereabouts. I haven't got the dating here. I do accept James Usher's dating. Uh, for the word of God. I have, I have no reason to uh, not accept it, but I'm thinking from memory this is around 900 BC or thereabouts, and this is such an interesting, if not fascinating, story. I mean, on paper, David and Goliath coming head to head uh, would seem impossible. I guess if you think of somewhere like Angolia declaring war on America, it would be absolutely ludicrous, or maybe Chad declaring war on China, it would be absolutely ludicrous, obviously. Or Belize declaring war on Britain, it would be absolutely ludicrous. So on paper, 
you think to yourself this isn't going to go anywhere this will be a bloodbath and yet quite the opposite uh first samuel 17 let's begin in verse 4 and there went out a champion out of the camp of the philistines named goliath of gath whose height was six cubits and a span philistines today the palestinians whether they like it or not are linked back to the philistines and they are hamites they are in the line of canaan and of course canaan the hamites are cursed people and these are perpetual enemies of israel and there went out a champion like a top dog warrior you think of people like cromwell never lost a battle a day in his life or david or uh, joshua never lost a battle a day in their lives and yet here is gath uh, excuse me here is goliath from gath whose height was six cubits and a span and i've written in my bible many years ago around nine foot nine now most uh commentaries i looked online briefly last night will tell you that he was around nine to ten feet high he's huge quite possibly linked to the nephilim back in uh, genesis chapter six and of course this also leads me to the theory of bigfoot which i may discuss as we work through this and there went out a champion out of the camp of the philistines named goliath of gath whose height was six cubits and a span he's huge he's a huge guy he's a very powerful guy he's also a very uh, unusual guy somewhat demonic and look at verse 5 and he had an helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coal of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass so I did the uh, calculations last night and 5,000 shekels of brass is around 78 pounds in weight so five and a half stone if you live in the UK which is in some ways the average weight of a typical woman five and a half stone 78 pounds or 35.8 kilograms an incredible amount of weight to carry around on his personage if you think of marines paratroopers special forces they carry a lot of weight when they travel around and of course they are sent out to rural areas like this uh desolate areas like this they have to survive off the land and they carry a, a huge backpack i'm not sure if it's five and a half stone but it may not be far off and he had a helmet of brass upon his head he's a professional soldier he's caused misery to israel and he was armed with a coat of mail like a sort of steel uh, outfit and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass now if you saw this guy coming to you you probably run for the hills <laughs> and of course the israelites are petrified terrified of this giant at least nine foot at the most ten foot high built like a tank basically and he's coming towards israel he's got you've got to his army and you got israel's army and i guess man on man is one thing but uh a giant leading the philistines must have been terrifying I saw a clip last week online that was sent to me of robots ai which are becoming very popular now in the west <clears throat> i remember years ago being told a story about a robot called henry a chinese robot which could uh, climb into people's homes uh, and chase people attack people and that wasn't bad enough could eat people i saw a clip last week online and i saw this robot and it was being tried out somewhere in california and reading some of the comments they were saying this is fake it's uh what do they call that it's uh computerized uh like the old green room thing uh it's basically special 
effects but I thought I'm not so sure look very real to me and this robot's about five feet high had uh, weapons and was looking at all the targets and they were knocking this robot over and it kept getting up on its feet and it looked really uh, menacing I thought that looks like a real creation and of course they were training it to kill targets take out uh, enemy combatants as uh, Rumsfeld once said about the uh, uh, the uh, Islamists helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail he's uh, all equipped ready to go and the weights of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass again five and a half stone 78 pounds 35.8 grams pretty heavy if you were to try and hold such of course look at verse 6 and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders pads basically today we would say it's bulletproof but not quite he's going out to win he's not going out to lose and he's all uh, kitted out he's ready to move and to see this guy walking towards you with a helmet by today's standards a bulletproof vest pads in case he falls or has to pick himself back up again he's really used to fighting no wonder Israel was terrified look at verse 7 and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him again the measurements work out to be around 15 pounds so his spear is 15 pounds which if you live in the UK is one stone or if you live overseas 6.8 kilograms again this guy's a huge giant and it makes me think about some of those sightings in the US and the USSR Bigfoot these mystery objects and I've seen many documentaries over the years about this elusive object or the uh, Loch Ness monster a lot of interesting stuff's been put up over the years and I've heard recordings of the so-called Bigfoots and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this thing may actually be real and I want to discuss it more this morning if possible and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him he's got like an advanced party if you will look at eight and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them why are ye come out to set your battle in array am I not a Philistine and ye servants to Saul choose you a man for you and let him come down to me he's goading them he is uh, ridiculing them he knows they are scared of him who wouldn't be of course and this goes on for a period of time and he says one more time why are you come out to set your battle in array why are you here do you think you can actually beat me and my men am I not a Philistine he's very proud of his uh, heritage always be worried about people who put their faith in their country and not Christ and ye servants to Saul of course Saul was their king absolutely their commander-in-chief if you will choose you a man for you let him come down to me that's a typical uh, call to arms nothing unusual in that but of course Israel have no sharpshooters they have no uh, specialist team that can go out and remove someone like uh, Goliath maybe six or seven years ago there was an American sniper who was stationed in Afghanistan and he was given a target to eliminate three miles away and it's gone down in history as one of the most uh, incredible 
assassinations and he was perched up at a location three miles away from the target and he saw this Islamist many miles away and through his telescope he was able to pick out the uh, Islamist and he weighed and of course due to the curvature of the earth due to wind speeds and what have you you get one shot if you are lucky quote unquote and this American sniper waited and waited very patiently and eventually when he realized it was a time to take the shot he took it and he hit the Islamist took him out that went down as one of the great uh, achievements in modern warfare or maybe a year afterwards a British sniper Afghanistan again saw a target three and a half miles away and he waited and again curvature of the earth wind speeds and what have you only had one shot at the target waited and waited and eventually he took the shot took out the Islamist about a year later a Canadian again in Afghanistan saw a target four miles away and he waited very patiently and of course you know what happened he took out the target specialized modern warfare uh, drones of course can fly all over the world now operated from the US and they are heading all over the Middle East at the moment or uh, British drones flying over Iraq and Syria operated from parts of the Gulf and also parts of the UK I mean technology is really moving fast and of course these robots like Henry and even running dogs I saw a clip a few days ago of what looks like a little dog of course it's robots and it went to a zoo somewhere in South Africa and then a couple of uh, I think it was cheetahs and they contacted the uh, they contacted the uh, uh, the zoo and said to the zoo keeper can we bring our uh, objects our machinery and uh, we want to see how your cats handle our robots and it was very interesting to watch just a minute clip and of course this cat looking object is going back and forth and the cheetahs are not sure what to make of it and they're coming out they're not really wanting to get too close to it because of course this is an unknown object to them well three cheetahs came out of their cages not one not one wanted to tackle this machine which is a very which is very much a sign of the future they're going to phase out man and use more machines nine if he be able to fight with me and to kill me then will we be your servants but if i prevail against him and kill him then shall ye be our servants and serve us that's a typical oriental deal in other words if we beat you you are our slaves and if you beat us we are your slaves nothing unusual about that of course and the philistines said i defy the armies of israel this day give me a man that we may fight together he wants to get this thing up and running he's ready to move if you go back to 2003 the iraq invasion it took weeks then months and then eventually you had about 48,000 british soldiers and maybe 150,000 american soldiers on the border of iraq wanting and ready willing to move they got tanks aircraft warships and of course bush and blair not quite ready yet to give the order i mean tens of thousands of personnel and of course you can't leave those people on standby permanently i think only the israeli defense force are always on notice 24 7 and they can they can respond and retaliate to any attack within i think four hours but most countries can't do that most countries take sometimes days to mobilize men but you've got israel you've got the philistines arch enemies uh marching towards one another ready to fight ready to rumble as they say 
and of course Israel is terrified during this time Israel like the time of the judges is in a backslidden state which makes this battle even more worrying 11 when Saul and all Israel heard heard those words of the Philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid when a leader is fearful it's bad news for all of us in any generation if you have a weak prime minister or weak president or any head of state who's weak because of course the fear of man brings us now and if you've got a government which is scared like in this country they always cower to political correctness they are terrified to speak out against uh, islam lgbt or blm and if you dare criticize one of those three groups and you are a government minister or member of parliament you're out in your ear basically but here Saul and all Israel when they heard these words of the Philistine he's shouting at them he's goading like I say were dismayed like just basically perplexed uh, falling apart inside of themselves and greatly afraid well of course they would be but Saul was a pretty tall guy himself he wasn't nine foot high but he's pretty tall six and a half feet he's spoken of as very uh, goodly uh, very uh, long hair a very uh, good looking guy I guess we would say and on paper he could have done some damage to Goliath but of course he's the king of Israel so he won't fight just yet of course a good general a good uh, leader of an army will lead from the front but Saul is holding back basically He's weighing up his options. Look at verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephraimite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. The man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. David, David, David meaning beloved. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. David was a son of that Ephraimite, Ephraimite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. Jesse, Jesus. Jesus son of Jehovah David son of Jesse so David is a type of Christ and Jesse is a type of God the Father and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul fourteen <coughs> and David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul so David's got seven other brothers we think some perhaps died uh, during their years of growing up maybe died in battle we're not told but he's got seven brothers he makes number eight of course eight is the number of God David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul so David's brothers are in the army of Saul again national service most countries have national service Greece uh, Singapore and uh, other countries on the continent have national service but not in the UK uh, look at verse 15 but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem I have other sheep that are not yet of this fold my sheep hear my voice and follow me if another come they will not follow him again the imagery is so striking 16 and the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days so 40 days Goliath is surrounding Israel goading them for 40 days Satan is surrounding Jesus tempting Jesus again the imagery is striking and very similar of course jump down to verse uh, 19 now Saul and they and all the men of Israel 
were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So they are putting up a battle. There's no pacifists in the word of God. They are pushing back the Philistines. But of course they can't get past Goliath. Again, a typical human would struggle to take out Henry, the robot, or the cat, or whatever else they are now working on in the US, China, and probably in the UK. Drones are very difficult to spot. You can't even hear them. They can see you from miles away. And they use what's called Hellfire missiles. And of course, once they fire Hellfire missiles on their targets, everyone and everything is obliterated. But to be fair to uh, Saul, he is fighting verse 20. Look at verse, uh, first, excuse me, verse 19. Look at verse 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. David is a type of Christ. The keeper here is a type of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is watching over the flock. The word of God says if one of my sheep uh, strays is that Luke 15 I'll leave the 99 in the wilderness and go off that one missing sheep David is a type of Jesus Israel is of course David's nation David's nation is in trouble they are being attacked by a Philistine a Hamite a cursed line for the day it's like the Israelis surrounded by the Mohammedans and David knows that he's got to deal with this basically he has great faith he has great courage contrast that to somebody like Saul who on the one hand is the father of Israel if you will their commander-in-chief he is fighting but he's not doing as much as he probably could do a 21 for Israel and the Philistines have put the battle in array army against army good old fighting uh, battles army versus army think back to World War II you had uh, Montgomery's eighth army was it the desert rats in uh, Egypt and they were taking on Rommel's uh, Panzer Division and Rommel said to himself we should be able to beat the British no problem of course they got whipped badly later on the Americans are fighting uh, the Panzer Division an SS division in Europe I forget where it was in that infamous forest and of course the Americans thought we can take out this unit not realizing they were up against the SS the Waffen SS and of course they whipped the Americans I think 90,000 fatalities. By the end of World War II, you got uh, around a million Germans marched off to Russia. And by 1956, I think only 25,000 were released. The vast majority died en route to Siberia. And those that made it to Siberia died, of course, in the camps. Never underestimate your enemy, ever. 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keep of the carriage. I ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren came to greet his brethren he's moving at speed he thinks that if he doesn't get involved with this battle it could all be lost i think of battles over the years like world war one you go back to world war one for example you've got the americans under was it woodrow wilson watching from the us how's this going to work out who's going to win this war it's gone on for three long years it's basically stalemate and eventually the americans arrived i think it would be uh one of the american presidents uh who came after fdr his name will come to me in a minute and he was a captain during world war one and uh he arrived with his men in parts of europe and of course the americans didn't know how to fight hard to think now isn't it and 
the Americans had to be shown by the British and the French how to fight. And of course it made all the difference. You got hundreds of thousands of American troops, young men eager to fight, cut their teeth in battle, as they say. And after being prepped by the British and the French, they were able to reinforce the Allies. And of course, you know the rest, by 1918, it's all over. 23, and as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, second time, the champion. This guy's got a higher view of himself. The champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. Going back to verse 4, of course. Out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. So now this is personal. David's gone from knowing about this to now being made aware of it personally. He knows what's going on. He's been briefed. He's seen it for himself. He's seen, he's seen his own brothers struggling to attain and to repel the Philistine. I mean, nine foot high, ten foot high. He sees his own king just uh, folding up. When the Germans marched into Russia, Stalin just fell to pieces. And for three days, people like Molotov and Beria had to uh, run the shop, basically. And people like Churchill and Roosevelt were worried that Stalin wouldn't be able to get back on his feet. And of course, the Germans would just completely uh, take over Moscow and the war would be completely lost. Because without the Russians, it would have been very difficult to have won the war. Of course, Stalin bounced back and uh, by 1944-45, uh, the Russians decided to stay put in uh, every country they would invade in Europe. And of course, you went from one system being Nazism, which of course is left wing, incidentally not right wing. Uh, Hitler was a left wing politician, socialist, Democrat party, German socialist, left wing, not right wing, left wing. But of course, the Soviets came along and uh, they would uh, replace uh, Hitler's crowd. He'd gone from one left-wing group of tyrants to another group of left-wing tyrants. 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. Cowardice is always a problem, of course, whether it's a battle or not. Uh, cowardice when it comes to not preaching the gospel. Cowardice when it comes to not sharing the truth about Christ. Cowardice uh, when it comes to not defending the word of God. Uh, cowardice when it comes to not speaking up for the exclusivity of Christ Jesus. A lot of Christian leaders and Christians in general don't want to open their mouths. They want to run along with the world system. And of course, when you do so, you are guilty of uh, going against God. And the word of God says to be separated from the world system, of course. Look at 25. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Of course, they've seen him, but they are <laughs> basically uh, rehearsing. Uh, or sharing their inner feelings of turmoil, absolute uh, terror. Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Three promises have been offered to any man who takes out Goliath. Again, on paper, it looks like an impossible battle to win. In biblical circles today, you've got 99% of teachers, evangelists, uh, seminaries attacking the King James Bible. They all do it. And you've got that 1% that are defending the King James Bible, trying to push back, trying to take a stand. People say it's very divisive. Yes, it is very divisive. I mean, Christ is 
very clear when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, how no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christianity is a very exclusive and a very, and it's also a very divisive faith to follow. Obviously it is. The Word of God will be no different. And therefore you got a David and Goliath battle. All the seminaries, all the teachers, all the evangelists, I mean all of them, all attack the King James Bible. And you got small groups of people, tiny groups of Christians, a minority of minorities standing for the infallible word of God. Same sort of a thing, David and Goliath. The king will enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. You'll be almost on par with the king's family, whoever the man is that can take out Goliath. And David spake to the man that stood by, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? He wants to make sure he's heard it right the first time around. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is the first time that the term God has been used. You've got Israel's planners trying to work out strategy, trying to work out what to do concerning Goliath. Nobody has yet mentioned God, prayer, fasting, and young David, a teenager, is the first to mention God in verse 26. Look at 27. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. In other words, what the king has said will take place. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And David wants to make it crystal clear that whoever does win against Goliath will get uh, rewarded a threefold blessing. 28 and Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said why comest thou down hither and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle this goes back to the prodigal son Luke 15 from memory and of course the father in that story is a picture of God the father he's got two sons uh, one comes back and is reunited to him a picture of a sinner coming back to grace or a Jew coming to faith in Christ there's different ways to deal with the uh, prodigal son but the other son is a self-righteous Pharisee I never did this I never did that and he says to the other son but my son you have all these things I'm always with you so on so forth but your brother was dead and is now alive again and he's come back, we should make merry, so on and so forth. So you've got two Jews. One falls away, but comes back to himself and gets right with his father. In fact, that's a wonderful story because it says how his father would run to the uh, repentant son, whereas the other son is pious, pharisaical, self-righteous. And here, Eliab, or Eliab, is a good picture of an unsaved, pharisaical Jew. Why comest thou down hither? And with whom has thou left those few sheep in the wilderness, patronizing as well? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. This guy's so self-righteous. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You think this is just a walk in the park, do you? You're just a kid, basically. This is what Joseph was up against. His brothers thought nothing of him, hated him, mocked him, made fun of him. And of course, another story, after many years of being in Egypt as the prime minister, the brothers have to apologize to their brother and 
submit to his leadership, which is a picture of the Jews at the second advent, apologizing to Jesus and submit to his leadership. But David hasn't gone down just to have a look. He knows that if Israel lose this battle, it could be all over. I mean, the book of Judges speaks about the children of Israel in bondage to the Philistines. And also, during that incident with uh, uh, Samson and Delilah, and he was, of course, leader for 20 years, the Israelites had no weapons. But the Philistines were armed up to the teeth. So you've got two groups of people living in close proximity, one armed, the other not. It's an unfair fight, isn't it? But uh, Eliab is being overly critical of young David. David's intentions are good and godly. He goes down with a righteous cause, but his brother doesn't appreciate it. He also feels probably somewhat embarrassed that his little brother has turned up to see why this war hasn't been finished, why it's just dragged on. 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? We say that. We say, uh, what have I done now? <laughs> I mean, David is the youngest of his uh, father's sons, eight sons. A couple die in uh, death, or a couple, couple die in battle. Die prematurely, basically. But he's got at least three brothers who are fighting alongside King Saul. And again, on paper, had it not been for Goliath, Israel would have just obliterated the Philistines. But due to Goliath, nine foot high, built like a tank today like Henry, uh, Henry the robot or the cat if you will or a drone or rolled into one impossible to take out and of course Israel is having to catch up you think back to when Israel went back to the land in the 1940s she was using weaponry from World War One World War One but due to people like Wingate and uh, Marcus a British and American uh, uh, military experts, they were able to prepare Israel to defend herself and apparently even up into the 1960s when Israel was dealing with uh, constant attacks from Islamic countries there were former Nazis who had repented at what they had done to the Jews during the war who were in Israel helping the Israelis with their air force actually helping the Jews to defend themselves against Islamic aggression and David said what have I now done what have I done now is there not a cause is there not a good reason for me to be here you are one of my three brothers and yet you can't take out this giant you're twice my age or a lot older than I am basically father's asked me to come down to check up on you picture of God the father sending God the son down to check up on Israel and here I am dealing with Goliath picture of the Antichrist on paper you guys can't beat him but perhaps possibly i can look at 30 and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner and the people answered him again after the former man he's repeating himself and he wants reassurance and not just that acknowledgement that something has to be done 31 and when the words were heard which david spake they rehearsed them before saul and he sent for him your majesty a young boy's just turned up the son of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Never heard of him. Of course, many people in Israel during the times of King Saul. And Saul is trying to win this battle. It's going very badly for him, basically. Uh, the Dunkirk fiasco was one of the lowest points in British history. 
300,000 troops sent to France to push back the Germans and of course they pushed the British back to the beaches and the trenches and uh, every boat in Britain had to be sent to rescue all those British soldiers. It was humiliating and yet Churchill turned it into a victory or Vietnam from 1961 to 1975-76 over a million American soldiers sent to Vietnam to fight the Viet Cong backed by the Chinese of course and that's also a religious war you got the South Catholic and the North Communist and the Americans in the middle of it it was a fiasco couldn't be won of course and the Australians went along with the Americans and they got whipped and the British said no we won't get involved with this war it's unwinnable and of course it was unwinnable and by the end of 1975-76 or thereabouts 55,000 dead Americans and the war was lost and yet today Vietnam is taking off as a new so-called tiger economy it's funny how things go around isn't it and when the words were heard which David spake they rehearsed them before Saul reiterated them in the presence of Saul and he sent for him so far so good shows humility as far as Saul is concerned Saul is a very troubled character starts off well ends bad suffers with uh, demonic attacks of course David has to play the harp and when he plays the harp the spirits leave uh, Saul but when David, when David stops playing the harp the spirits return and of course Saul is terribly troubled so much we can say about Saul but not this morning look at 32 and David said to Saul let no man's heart fail because of him encouraging words thy servants will go and fight with this Philistine this is incredible David's a teenager Goliath's twice his age perhaps three times his height and David said to Saul let no man's heart fail because of him including yourself your majesty thy servants humility will go and fight with this Philistine picture of the devil of course picture of the Antichrist for the tribulation and Saul said to David thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth so Saul has been made aware that David David a young man from Bethlehem from an obscure family has stepped up to the mark is often to do something which on paper looks impossible and quite rightly to be fair to Saul thou art but a youth and he is a man of war from his youth but David is very determined persuasive and 34 and David said unto Saul thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock and I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth and when he rose against me I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him he's a fighter like uh, Samson a fighter and sometimes when a fight is underway you need somebody who isn't necessarily the obvious candidate step forward and take on the fight he speaks about a lion and a bear of course in uh, type the bear is a picture of Russia and a lion being a griffin uh, a type of England but leave it as it is a literal bear a literal lion and took a lamb out of the flock Christ is the Lamb of God of course and I went out after him and smote him and delivered it and delivered it out of his mouth and when he rose against me 
I caught him by his beard and slew and smote him and slew him. So it's a picture of the resurrection in type. In type. The uh, lamb is taken out by the, uh, the bear and the lion. And because the lamb is taken out via the lion and the bear, David deals with it and delivers it out of his mouth. Picture of the resurrection. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. The final destruction of the devil, of course, at the end of time. 36. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Second time mentions God. That's what makes David such a remarkable character. His love for God is almost unparalleled. After probably Joshua, and a handful of others, it's a constant uh, glory to God, of course. 37. David said, Moreover, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord that delivered me out to the port of the lion, and out to the port of the bear, of course, Satan is a roaring lion, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. This is the first time that Saul mentions the Lord. So let's just back up. Saul, he's got three or four sons from memory, a couple of daughters. Later on, David will marry Saul's eldest daughter. And of course, Jonathan becomes his brother-in-law, a very close union. If you think back to Jesus, Martha, Mary and Lazarus, same sort of a thing, very close union. Saul is the father of Israel. He's their first king. On paper, could have done damage to the Philistine, but he's either a coward or he doesn't want to get his hands dirty, basically, like most politicians today. They'll send your sons to fight uh, wars overseas, but they won't send their own sons to fight wars overseas. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the port of the lion and out of the port of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Absolute assurance, no doubt, unshakable faith. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. If you want to study the word of God sometime, study faith. It will just blow you away, and it may even leave you wondering if you are even saved yourself. People like Isaac, offered up by his father Abraham, doesn't fight, doesn't struggle, doesn't try to break free. And that's remarkable, isn't it, really? I mean, he could have died, burnt alive. Or would Abraham, would Abraham have cut his throat and then sacrificed him to Jehovah? Doesn't say, hold it, I'm out of here. Or Jephthah, uh, who would sacrifice his daughter back in uh, Judges, is it Judges 11? And he tells her that he's promised the Lord. Jephthah, yep. Yeah. Uh, in Judges 11 he says to his daughter I have to do what I promised the Lord to do and uh, Jephthah's daughter doesn't say uh, you're out of your mind <laughs> she goes along with it she submits to her father as would Isaac uh, 38 and so armed David with his armour and put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. He wants to give David the best chance to win. 
what's going through Saul's mind is anyone's guess, and his generals must be just laughing. Not uh, in a nasty way, but in a petrified way. I mean, they can't beat Goliath. This is the problem. They can't beat him. It's like uh, Taiwan. Taiwan can't beat China. If you live in Taiwan right now, you're too terrified. I mean, you've got the Chinese flying over your country every single day. Or last week, Russian nuclear planes flying over Belarus to put pressure on Poland. I mean, Poland can't beat Russia. Most countries couldn't beat Russia. And even if you had a superpower like America, is there morale to take on the Russians? Or from the Russian side of you, or from the point of the Russians, is there morale in Russia to take on the Americans? Or China? I mean, on paper, China is a superpower, but she has no experience of fighting wars. She hasn't fought a war since Korea. And even then, that was indirect, an indirect war, not a direct war. Just because you have an army of two or three million people and hundreds of fighter jets and warships doesn't mean that if a battle kicked off tomorrow, you would win. I mean, Britain has experience of wars. America has experience of wars. France and other countries have experience of wars, Israel especially. But uh, countries like China have no experience of fighting overseas. But you wouldn't want to pick a fight with, with uh, China, uh, China or Russia, would you? Saul armed David with his armor, with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he, also he armed him with a coat of mail. He's given David his own gear. It's not going to work. It's impossible. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it, hadn't tested it yet. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. Now, he's now going to deal with this giant, probably three times his height, twice his age. He's got the entire army behind the Philistine, shouting and screaming abuse at little old David. David's men aren't far away, but they're not uh, confident enough to push forward and engage the enemy. A lot of countries are terrified of fighting other countries. You think back to World War II, when the Germans got to France, I think two million Frenchmen, two million, just handed down their weapon, just surrendered. It was humiliating. Or we'll go back to the Falklands War, when the Argentinians, the Argentinians arrived, and they made the British Marines, was it 200 or thereabouts, just lie flat on their stomachs, or lay their weapons down, basically. And those pictures went all over the world of Royal Marines having to surrender. It was humiliating to see. Of course, the Empire striked back, the British Empire, just about anyway, <laughs> and uh, they went to uh, the Falklands, 8,000 miles was it? Whipped the Argentinians, and of course the rest is history. 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So he won't just turn up without any weaponry whatsoever. Paul speaks about the Christian being a soldier of the Lord, Ephesians 6, the full armour of Christ, of course, and the Word of God, uh, without which you can't do anything or defeat anyone. You can't get any victory at any time without the Word of God. In fact, go to Matthew 10. David is taking physical weaponry on his journey to deal with the Philistine. And in Matthew 10, something similar is also being uh, described, but not uh, physical, but uh, spiritual. 
and uh, should have written the verses down. It's Matthew 10. Uh, pick it up in verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey. Neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves. For the workman is worthy of his meat. Go back to 1 Samuel. The apostles go out. No weaponry needed. Just the clothes that they need to wear for that particular mission. But here David is going out armed to the teeth. 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare this shield went before him. His shield is so heavy he's got somebody carrying it for him. Like an advanced party. A personal aid we'd say today. When the Philistine looked about and saw David. He disdained him. For he was but a youth. And ruddy. And of a fair countenance. He's a child. Now, if you are an experienced soldier, general, officer, and you fought many battles over the years, and you got, say, 20,000 soldiers behind you, fighting 20,000 soldiers on the other side, and all of a sudden this shepherd boy comes out and stands face to face with you, it's humiliating for, for Goliath, obviously it is. And Goliath's men are probably laughing to themselves, saying, this is a joke, isn't it? And Saul, rubbing his hands nervously, what's going to happen? Can we win this? Is God going to do a miracle like he would do with the children of Israel when they ran from Pharaoh? Or when Joshua wouldn't let the sun go down for a day? What's going to happen? And you can be sure that people were praying for David. Absolutely. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, hated him, mocked him, for he was a but excuse me, for he was but a youth, teenager, and ruddy and of a fair countenance. There was a film made back in 1953-54, David and Bathsheba. Not a bad film, and uh, it was star uh, Greg Peck, and he play, he plays David, of course. And there's a great scene in that film during the Bathsheba incident when God has killed their son due to the sin of not just adultery but also premeditated murder, sacrificing Uzziah to the Philistines. Talk about treachery. And David's been up praying all night. The child dies sick, or excuse me, the, the child is born sick, eventually dies, and David is in a terrible state, and he goes into the uh, Ark of the Covenant area, the inside of the tabernacle. It's a very powerful scene. And he gets on his knees and he's praying to Jehovah and he's praying for forgiveness and what have you. And all of a sudden he puts his hands on the Ark of the Covenant, which of course you would die for doing that. And he knows that, obviously he does. And it's a flashback to David as a young man, 1 Samuel uh, 17. And you've got David heading off to deal with Goliath, you've got Jonathan saying, God be with you, David, God be with you. Of course, at that time, Jonathan wouldn't have known David or vice versa, but for the film, it's great television. Of course, he's egging on David, young kid, typical, typically, uh, typically out of his comfort zone. And you've got Saul, beard, you know, his uh, crown and his head in his tent, watching nervously as David goes off to meet Goliath. And of course, David says, I come to the name of the Lord, and he gets his sling, of course, you know the rest. 
he deals with Goliath. It's a powerful scene, one of the best scenes in the entire film, and it flashes, it flashes back to David in his current situation. He's saying, God, please forgive me for this and uh, for that. And of course, uh, as he finishes uh, praying, all of his men are outside, and uh, it starts to rain. Of course, when uh, you have rain in uh, movies, very powerful there's always something about rain in movies which is hard to really describe but he walks out and all his men are kneeling and it's raining and of course lord the lord has forgiven david for the sin of murder adultery and also treachery but the uh, the rest of the film isn't much but that one scene really does stand out uh 43 and the philistine said unto david am i a dog a derogatory term, of course. Am I a dog? An unsaved man, the word of God, is a dog. An unsaved woman is a sow, is a pig. That thou comest to me with staves, light sticks, basically. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. It's always bizarre when people will blaspheme their God and uh, do it publicly. I went to Egypt some years ago, and it was a day's trip to Cairo to go into the uh, pyramids fascinating day really was interesting and there's video of that online if you want to see it and we were bussed around Cairo one of two coaches we had uh, armed police on board protecting us and there was this uh, Egyptian tour guide who was explaining where we were going what we were doing and so on and so forth and she blasphemed through the PA system I thought see even Muslims will blaspheme their God I've worked with Muslims over the years they blaspheme their God all the time. Incredible, isn't it? And here Goliath is cursing God, uh, cursing David by his gods. Incredible. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, unto the beasts of the field. I'm going to just tear you up, basically. And what's left you will be devoured by wild animals. And then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword. And I with a spear, nothing like what you've got, Goliath, basically, and with a shield. So he's going to defend himself, obviously. Of course, for the New Testament, you have to turn the other cheek. But here, you're dealing with a theocracy, a different situation. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. Again, he quotes God, he mentions God, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Incredible. So David's faith is unshakable. Now, other kings in the word of God would have faith, obviously, Jehoshaphat, and people like Gideon, not a king, but a leader, and uh, Josiah, a king, and they go down as being great leaders, but David is a cut above the rest. I mean, the Bathsheba incident, uh, Uzziah's murder, sacrificing him to the Philistines to cover up the sin of adultery, and the pregnancy and all that stuff was pretty bad, but David never stopped loving God. His heart was always with Jehovah unlike his son Solomon, of course, whose heart would be uh, given to the uh, gods of his wife's. This day, 46, will the Lord, the Lord, deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines, this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's what was lacking from the standpoint of Saul's leadership. He's got his men armed, 
ready to move, but there's no prayer. There's no uh, watch me pray in public, or let's get the high priest out, or let's get the Ark of the Covenant out. It's let's deal with this once and for all. They rush out to deal with the enemy, and of course that's also found back in uh, the time of Moses, when the children of Israel had been sinning, and there was sin in the camp, and they go out to deal with uh, the enemies, I forget which one it may have been, and he says to them, Moses says to them, you can't win this. God isn't with you. And they go up anyway, and of course they lose thousands of men. That's a picture also for the day of a Christian, just doing something in the flesh, not in the spirits, and uh, getting egg all over your face. So back up to uh, uh, 44, and here the Philistine is cussing David out basically and saying, I'm going to take your body, feed it to the wild animals, and David says, no, in 46, I'll give the carcasses of the host of this Philistine this day under the fowls of the air. I'll deal with you, Goliath, and your crew, and the wild beasts of the earth, the, all the earth, all the earth, <coughs> not just Israel, all the earth, may know that there is a God in Israel, remarkable, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So he does go out partly armed, <coughs> partly prepared, he has to defend himself, we are all entitled to do so, obviously. Paul says, if you don't take care of your own family, <coughs> you are worse than an infidel. But of course, if you are on the street preaching and teaching, and somebody comes up to you and spits in your face, you've got to take it. Or they punch you in the mouth, you've got to take it. Or they uh, cuss you out, you've got to take it. <coughs> but of course, for David, it's very different. This is a theocracy. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. That's what special forces do. They run to the enemy. During the first Gulf War, <coughs> was it Bravo 2-0? Andy McNabb and his men, they got caught. Another disaster. British troops dropped into Iraq, middle of the winter. A rushed job, basically, and he got a couple of dozen SAS troopers taken into Iraq to destroy Scud missiles and uh, some of the guys are caught, terribly tortured. <coughs> I think McNabb was tortured. But uh, the others were able to get away and uh, cross the border into, I forget which country it may have been, it would be Iran, another country, Turkey perhaps, I forget which country it was. But before they would do that, they saw the Iraqis coming towards them 5,000 against, what, two dozen SAS troopers, and they would run, and they would fight. And the Iraqis said, who are we fighting here? Of course, they realized they were fighting British Special Forces. That's what they do, they run. They take the battle to the enemy. They don't run from the enemy, they run to the enemy. And here David, 15, 16, runs towards the enemy to meet the Philistine. No fear there whatsoever. And David put his hand in his bag and took the thence a stone and slang it. And smote the Philistine in his forehead. That the stone sunk into his forehead. And he fell upon his face to the earth. Forehead. It's like the mark of the beast, isn't it? In the forehead. In the hand. Type of the Antichrist, you see. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword 
in the hand of David. He's not fully equipped. He's also ran towards the Philistine. He's, he's running at speed. I mean, absolute faith in God Almighty to deal with the Philistine. No sword in the hand of David. Goliath's dead or dying on the ground. One of his five stones has hit his forehead, taking him out, a bit like a sharp shooter. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, the Philistines, and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith, decapitated him. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Well, of course, he starts off the champion, this huge monster of a man, and yet little old David, fearless, out of care in the world, not only takes him out publicly, cuts off his head, and the Philistines' armies, they run. They run for the hills. Look at 52. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines and the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sharim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. <coughs> and the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines. And they spoiled, they ruined, they destroyed, they ransacked their tents. And David took the head of the Philistines, of the Philistine, and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Look what I've got, everybody. I've got the head of Goliath. I'm top dog. I did what Saul could not do. He's not bragging about it, but he's showing his victory. And of course, Saul would have thought to himself, who is this young man? Is he going to be a threat to my kingdom one day? And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell thee. Go to Proverbs 30. To be fair to Saul, there are millions of Jews living in Israel at that time. And David isn't uh, somebody who would stand out as being uh, easily easy to remember. When Christ comes the first time, his mother was just an ordinary Jewish maiden. His stepfather, just an ordinary carpenter, living in ordinary parts of Israel, nothing extraordinary. Uh, Proverbs 30, look at verse uh, 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the water in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Go to John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. Look at 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Present tense. I'm on the earth, but I'm also in heaven. I'm in heaven, but I'm also on the earth. Go back to Proverbs 30, verse 4 again. What is his name? And what is his son's name? 
if thou canst tell. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. None of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Go back to First Samuel 17:56. And the king said, Inquire whose son the stripling is. Go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. What takes place in the Old Testament many times takes place in the New Testament. And what takes place in the New Testament many times will take place in the tribulation. Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of these shall come a governor, that shall rule, my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently. For the young child, when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. Go back to First Samuel. So Saul is very keen to meet the hero of the day, young David, a teenager, a wonderful type of Jesus, of course. He saves the day. And of course, Jesus dies for Israel. John chapter 11. 1 Samuel 17, 57. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand, like a trophy. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? That's a timeless question. And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So humble. I'll give you one more. Go to 2 Samuel, I think it's 21. 2 Samuel. Goliath was a strange character. The inference would appear from scripture that he had intercourse with his own biological mother. And uh, produced at least four other uh, giants. Second Samuel 21. Should have write the verses down. Yep, Second Samuel 21, 20. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature, that had on every hand six fingers, and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number, and he also was born to the giants. It's like Nephilim, Genesis chapter 6. This guy, by today's standards, would be offered as having a genetic deficiency. But the word of God says that it was in the days of Noah. 
as it was in the days of Lot, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So what takes place back in Genesis, unclean uh, spirits, fallen angels, whatever they were, having physical intercourse with the daughters of men, is going to take place again before Christ returns. But it looks like, possibly, this uh, demonic line was still prevalent during David's day. Look at 21. When he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the brother of David, slew him. So David's nephew takes care of another descendant of the giant. And it's really interesting because if you think about Bigfoot, like I say, and I've heard recordings and I've seen pictures and video and huge uh, footprints and what have you, and it just is pretty uneasy to, uh, to really fathom. In fact, go to, uh, I think it's Jude. I wonder sometimes if Bigfoot, or the class, the family of Bigfoot, whatever that thing is, is perhaps a possible descendant of Goliath. I wonder sometimes. I think it's Jude. Yeah, Jude. Uh, look at uh, 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feed themselves without fear. Clouds, they are without water carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, firming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So I just wonder if some of these uh, creatures that you see in parts of the US and Russia are descendants of Goliath perhaps or go back even further than him to the sons of God and again sons of God in the word of God are angels you find that in the uh, book of Job but here Jude speaks about uh, unclean spirits that are uh, filthy verse 8 defile the flesh despise dominion as be evil of dignities like Goliath would do. Michael the Archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. That's what David said. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You've defied Israel, you've blasphemed him. You've put Israel on the back foot for a period of time to our shame. We haven't been able to deal with you. But here I am, 16, 17, a young man. Perhaps 12, possibly, the same age as Jesus would be when he goes into the temple and the doctors are just bowled over by the knowledge of young Jesus. But maybe a little bit older than that, maybe 16 or 17. A bit like when Joseph came of age and of course they misunderstood Joseph, they misunderstood David, they misunderstood Jesus. But I just wonder if Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and all that stuff is some sort of an offshoot, descendant perhaps, of Nephilim, Goliath possibly. But it says again in 13, wandering stars like vagabonds, a bit like Cain. Always in the move, but nowhere to go. 
to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So I'm going to leave it there. The main point to, I guess, finish on is David's faith, real faith. Going back to Isaac, allowing his father to offer him up. David sees the situation. He can't... Uh, it can't be left as it was, basically. God expects us to fight our own fights, fight our own battles. We can't expect him to do everything for us. We have to do at least the minimal for ourselves. And of course, as we're doing the minimal for ourselves, asking him to be with us, uh, to carry us. And he takes the head off Goliath's neck, holds it up, and he says, I have won. Christ conquered death, would taste death for every man. And David does this publicly. Christ dies a public, shameful death. David credits God with the victory over the bear and over the lion, saving the lamb, picture of God the Father, resurrecting the lamb of God, who would declare and claim victory over the animal world, going back to Satan being a roaring lion. And of course, Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So much imagery. So much imagery. And of course, the... Uh, American president who would fight in World War I was, of course, Harry Truman, a top-degree Freemason. So, I'll say this finally, you've got two dispensations for the Old Testament. You've got physical fighting, New Testament, spiritual fighting. The apostles go out not to fight physically. Never once would they use their weapons against unsaved people. Only one occasion Paul would do, uh, Peter would do so. On one occasion, of course, Jesus would rebuke Peter for doing so, but never once would Paul use any weapon. Timothy, Titus, Silas never once used any weapons, uh, but for the Old Testament, that's all they did. And that's why he told to rightly divide the word of truth, not being ashamed. So I'll leave it there. It's a beautiful uh, November morning, and uh, by the grace of God, I was able to look at most of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, a fascinating account, and it shows what real faith can do move mountains, as Paul says. And uh, he says, though I have knowledge of this and knowledge of that, if I haven't got love, I've got nothing. So all this head knowledge is great, uh, but if your heart is cold, if you're not loving your neighbours yourself, if you're not putting yourself out, if you're not forgiving people, you know better than an unsaved person really are you. But David had a love for the Lord. First point, had the faith. Faith without works is dead. Yes, he would partly arm himself. Paul said, put on the full armour of God. And when he sees the enemy coming to him, he runs towards him. And of course, as I say, he uses his own weaponry to take out Goliath. And if that wasn't bad enough, he then takes the sword of Goliath and takes off his head using the enemy's own weaponry. And of course, for today, we could say, use some of the stuff that's put out against Christians and turn it against the enemies of Christianity to decapitate not physically but spiritually the enemies of the lord but do so with faith and love and humility david had all those things and he was marked out as a wonderful man of god and that's why he's in heaven today saved in spite of himself not because of himself believed in jehovah at a very young age which is the best time to be saved when you are very young obviously and against all odds all odds he takes out the enemy of Israel does it publicly and of course he marries the daughter of Saul best friends with Jonathan and that's a wonderful story of a family 
being one in Christ, if you will. Of course, David's wife hates him. She's jealous of his success, his fame. Was always a ladies' man, obviously, and that's been discussed many times over the years from the pulpits and elsewhere. But when it came to his love for the Lord, that's what God wants to see, the love of his subjects. How much do you love me? If you love me, keep my commandments. Let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what David would do. And of course, that's what really makes this account just tremendous, just wonderful. So I'll leave it there. I hope it's been a blessing to you this morning and I'll see you next time and uh, join me this coming Sunday when I finish Psalm 44. And uh, keep me in prayer. I'll keep you in prayer. And may God bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.